This is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Please enjoy Pastor Kevin Myers as he delivers the message, Truth Be Told About Self. This is the third teaching in the series, Truth Be Told. Please enjoy. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Lying is basically just acting, and I am a terrific actor. <laughs> you are a terrific actor. It's not a lie if you believe it. How old are you? 17. You? Complete me. If you're just tuning in, what you just heard was lie after lie after lie, which are dubious at best. The falsehoods told to the public, but um, everyone? Everywhere. The question is what is the truth? Let's find out then, shall we? So welcome to 12 Stone across the campuses and online. Great to have everybody with us today. And listen, you picked a great day to be here. This is going to be a significant day. Some of you will settle your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time, and this will be your spiritual birthday. It's going to be a big day. Others of you who, who really already know Christ, uh, you, you, if you were honest, you've grown a bit cold, uh, a little bit distant spiritually, and there's going to be a restoration in that, and, and there's going to be a recommit and a reset in your life that's going to be marking and significant. This is just going to be that kind of a marking day. So let's get into it. Have you noticed uh, that when you want something, like when you really desire something, you know how to run after it. I mean, like you know how to go get it. You know how to run after it. You know how to put yourself out. Think about things that you, you once wanted or, or about things you want right now. I mean, when it really matters to you, it, it can be something you want to buy, something you want to achieve, something you want to accomplish. It might be in your area of education or, or an area of your finance or your career. It might be a relationship. It, 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 might, be, it, it might be your faith. It might be your marriage. But, but when you really want something, you've proven to yourself you know how to run after that and run hard after it. Let, let, me, let me take a moment to illustrate. Uh, let me talk to middle schoolers and high schoolers, okay? Let me, let, and, and maybe this even gets into college and some, some 20-somethings. But when you guys want to do gaming, you know how to go after it. I mean, a lot of you like to do the whole gaming thing. And have any of you ever heard of Fortnite? Any parents or kids heard of Fortnite? Okay, I see some reaction, some good, some not. Okay, that thing's blown up. My son, Jaden, loves to play Fortnite. Uh, I've watched him play. And, and one day, uh, uh, late spring, he and two other friends were playing Fortnite. And they were in the heat of the war, the battle, but, but they were goofing off. In fact, here's just a video of literally that specific game. Um, so this quick little video, if you've, if you've ever seen it before, you, you, they're shooting at each other. I mean, they're just, they're just being goofing off, being casual, not engaged in the game at all. They're just hanging out. And then something amazing happened. They got killed, <laughs> eliminated, taken out. That's not the amazing part. The cool thing that happened is who took them out? And it was Ninja. And if any of you know the game, that name means something. It was Tyler Ninja Blevins that took them out. Now, here's a video of it. Tyler swooping down uh, from the sky, seeing those uh, goof-offs over there and deciding, I think I'll take them out. 
Now, I don't totally understand the game. I've watched it. But, you know, you got to build the ramps and the walls and the whatever art there is to this game. But Tyler is, is ninjas just making, like, mincemeat of them very quickly, very fast. And they're out and they're gone. It's over. And, and, but they have, the, they, have this, they have this recap of it. They, they, they got the video. They're so excited. We got taken out by Tyler. I mean, they're crowing about it, bragging to their friends. Oh, yeah, Tyler took us out. I'm like, what? Yeah, the ninja man, Dad. Ninja took us out. Son, I, who cares? It's a game. <laughs> Dad, you don't understand. What, what don't I understand? He's the number one player in the world, Dad. The best in the, wor- the world, Dad. Not like in Lawrenceville. In the world. <laughs> Son, who cares? It's a game. Dad, he's 26 years old, and he makes a half a million dollars a month playing the game. He got my attention. I said, there is no way that's true. Oh, yeah, Dad. That, son, you're out of your mind. You don't make money doing that stuff. Oh, yeah, Dad. Check this out. He showed me a video. Respect. Here's two minutes of the video. So I, I play the incredulous, non-techie person. Congratulations <laughs> on getting people to pay so much money that you're bringing in more than half a million dollars in revenue a month for Thank people you. to watch you play video games. Why do they want to watch you play? Um, I think that I offer a combination of, of high gameplay, like high tier gameplay uh, that they really can't get uh, with a lot of other content creators. It's very difficult to be like one of the best at a, at a video game in any game or at anything at all in the world. Uh, and I also think I offer, um, I mean, I'm very goofy. If you've ever watched any of my streams or my YouTube videos, uh, I, I do impressions and, and you know, like stuff like that all the time and just crazy shenanigans. And uh, I think that the, the combination of that, it's like a hybrid. Uh, and it's just really fun to watch and uh, a pretty positive environment as well. Tyler, uh, you started competing in video games on Halo in 2009, so nearly 10 years ago, at which point I'm sure it was tough to convince your parents that there, <laughs> oh, yeah. was, really a, there was really a business model for this and that you could really make money. What was your argument? Because I'm sure that every 16, 17-year-old out there who loves playing video games wants to hear that. That was that is an incredible question. I'm actually I'm like really happy that you asked that. Uh, I maintained my job that I was working at Noodles and Company, and I stayed in college while I was doing all these things. I continued to do well in school and and focus on like the future of my life, as well as working uh, on streaming and competing in Halo. It was one of those things where like if I was doing doing well in school, putting in the time and effort there in soccer as well, that I would be rewarded to play as many games as I want. And, uh, and, and it, honestly, I, I encourage everyone to do that. All, all the kids out there, like, you can't just drop everything and focus on playing video games for a living. It's also becoming a very competitive career uh, choice right now. And uh, you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're securing your future and putting in the extra time to try to make this happen as well. And how my parents wanted to say thank you, Tyler, for that word. <laughs> like... Like, if you really want something, what he demonstrated is he knows how to run hard after it. Man, I didn't quit on college, I didn't quit on my job, I didn't quit on soccer, but, but, but I rewarded myself with the game. But if you really want to be a gamer, you know you got to run hard after it. In fact, the truth is in anything in life, and I'm like, well, give him his props. I'm like, son, I will admit I am impressed. You pull, son, you don't have to pull in a, a half a million dollar a month. You just do that every year, and I'll be supportive of you, right? Like, well done, son. <laughs> 
Uh, see what we've all figured out. It doesn't matter if you're middle school, high school, 20, college, 20 something, any arena of life. If you want to go after something, you're going to have to run hard after it. I told you last weekend, Marsha, she wants to do the New York City Marathon this November. Good for her. But what does that require? Well, she's running hard after it. Tens of miles every week, ground out, put the effort in. You want to get somewhere in your career, you got to run hard after it. You got that figured out. You know that. You really care about something. You're going to have to run hard after it. You want to build a solid marriage? You run hard after that. Strong family? You want to go deep in your faith? Walk with God? You run hard after it. Now, here's what I want you to get. When God says he loves you and you matter to him, God is not casual. He's not goofing off. He's run hard after you. Listen, he has run hard after you. In his amazing love for you, he sent his son Jesus to come to earth, to live a life of obedience and model what it meant to walk with God, voluntarily die on the cross, horrific crucifixion, so that his death could apply to our death and pay our sin debt and restore us to God the Father so that we could have eternal life. Jesus Christ came to set us free. To set us what? Free. This was no casual thing. God has run hard after you, that you might be set free, that, that you might build the right foundation of truth in your life and have life to the full. That's where we left off last week. Grab your, grab your teaching notes. You got a pen right there if you want to do a little drawing. I gave you a space for it. But, but you know we've been drawing this kind of house thing uh, for the last uh, couple of weeks of this series, saying that the house is like a metaphor to your house, Matthew, your, or your, your, your life rather. So the house represents your life, Matthew chapter 7. It's where we've been. Jesus tells this story. He uses this imagery. And, and of course, we all want a good life, a good house, and we invest in the things we can see and touch and physical and feel. In fact, feelings have a whole lot to do with it because I want a great life, so, so what I feel can tend to drive my life. And we can think our life is all about the decoration, the stuff we can see, touch, feel. And then Jesus says in that, in that parable that the storms of life come along. And when the storms of life come along, and by the way, they come along to all of us, the storms have a way of revealing. They expose and they teach you something, that it's the foundation, not the decoration, that gives you a stronger life. See, it's not all the stuff you can see at the house level. It's what underneath it that you build your life on. This right here is the critical question of your life. And the question in all of this is, are you going to build your life on the truth? See, Jesus says you build your life on the truth. And your foundation will be solid and you'll have an awesome life, awesome house, if you will. But you let lies get in here. One of the lies we, we, we tend to embrace is, is, oh, I build my life on feelings. I make my decisions on my feelings. Whatever I feel becomes the truth. He said, well, that'll fracture the foundation. When the storms come, your life won't stand. You build your marriage on lies. You don't understand that there are lies you believe in relationship and marriage and family and career, about God, about eternity, about relationship, about yourself. And then he asked the question. In fact, we did this last week. If you missed the teaching last week, go, go listen to it. Get online. He asked the question, where do you start? And in the world, we, they say, oh, we start with self. You want to know what the truth is, you start with self. But Jesus comes along, helps you understand, you don't start with self because that's not where it begins. You got to start with God. See, when you start with God, that's how you get to the truth. And it's the truth that ultimately sets you free because that needs to be at the foundation of your life. And there are some lies that we tend to believe about ourselves. We're going to talk about three of them today. Right there in your teaching notes, there's some fill in the blank. 
let's give the three lies we tend to believe about ourselves. Number one, if I focus more on myself, I will be more fulfilled. Fill in the blank, write it down. If I focus more on who? Myself, I will be more fulfilled. You want a more fulfilled life? Focus more on yourself. We'll talk about that. Number two, Jesus is one of many ways to God. One of many ways. He's a way, but he's one of many ways. Fan of Jesus, but he's one of many ways to God. One of many ways to heaven. He's non-essential. Third lie, here it is. You have to clean up your life to come to God. You have to clean up your life to come to God. How do you get to God? Well, clean up your life. All right, those are three lies we tend to believe. Now hear me, you cannot be set free from those three lies unless you know who Jesus is, who Jesus claimed himself to be, and the truth that he declared. So grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. There are worship Bibles underneath your seat. Just reach underneath your chair, pull them out across the campuses. You have one sitting in front of you, around you. And we're going to turn over to page 1073. Grab the Bible, turn to page 1073. It's John chapter 8. If you're on a mold device, John chapter 8, verse 21 is where we're going to start reading. And Jesus is telling the truth amidst the lies we believe. And here's what he says in verse 21. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away. And you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Well, where I go, you cannot come. Well, what's he talking about? He, he's saying, I, I'm going to die, give my life. I, I'm, I'm going to go to the depths of hell. I'm going to rise from the dead and go to the right hand of God the Father. And when all this happens, you can't go anywhere where I am because I'm in the realm of the, spirit, the spiritual realm. But you, you're going to die in your sin. Listen, sin is the big deal. Sin is missing. The mark, it's falling short of God's holy perfection. Sin is when you dismiss God and pretend you're God of your life and you, you set truth for yourself. Sin is when God calls something evil and you call it good or God calls something good and you call that evil. Sin is just being God of your own life and that's a lie, you're, you're not God. Sin's the big deal. And Jesus goes on, drop down to verse 31 as he's talking to the crowd, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, 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 his disciples and, and others in the crowd listening. He, to the Jews who had believed him, verse 31, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you what? Free. Now, someone once said, the truth will often set you free, but first it'll tick you off, right? I mean, when, when, when it confronts you, it ticks you off and they're starting to get ticked off. Because Jesus is saying what he said back in Matthew chapter 7, we talked about in previous weeks. That it's not knowing the truth, it's living the truth. If you hold to my teachings, then you'll know the truth and it will set you free. Ah, you have to live this. It's not going to church and hearing the truth. It's walking out of here and living the truth. This has to be integrated in your life. You'll know the truth, it'll set you free. It'll set your marriage free. I mean, so many marriages are locked up, shut down, not doing well, families and the like. You want to get set free? That's how you get it, the, the truth. But you got to go live this stuff. You want to set free in career and finances? You understand how life works, put it together? Ultimately, though, you want to be set free eternally, free from sin and free from death, free from eternal death. That's what he's talking about. And, and they want to know, what does he mean? And that's what he means. Because you can see from verse 33, they asked him, Next verse, we are, they, they, they answer Jesus, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? See, they're talking physical realm, and Jesus is talking spiritual realm. He means set free spiritually from sin. You need to be rescued. You need to be what, everybody? Rescued. Rescued from sin. 
In fact, in the next verse, he says, those who sin are slaves to sin. It's just our nature now because of sin, it's in us. In fact, verse 42 to 47, he describes how we buy into the lies of Satan and we don't listen to the truth of God. And we think, oh, no, no, I'm not buying into the lies of Satan. I, but this is my own thinking. No, it's not. Satan's whispering lies to you. And they get inside you and they become the lies you believe about life, like the three examples we're given today. And then Jesus says, down in verse 51, very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. He's talking now and he's saying, truly, truly, meaning verily, very, meaning this is stuff you need to know. If you will follow my truth, you're truly my disciples, you'll be set free. In fact, if that's not enough, go to the next page, verse 58. He says it again, very truly. This is like truly, truly. This right here, this is non-negotiable fact, truth of eternity. I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, they wanted to kill Jesus after this. Why? Because Jesus just said, I am God. He used the word God that was given to, to Moses by God in the Old Testament. Like, this is the name of God. So Jesus literally was saying, you ready? I'm God. <laughs> I'm not Jesus. I'm not just a human being. I'm God in human flesh. Therefore, what I speak is absolute truth. This is the context that Jesus is delivering. And this is the background for undoing the lies we tend to believe about self. So let's go to them. The truth will set you free. First, it'll set you free from self. Let's, let, let's, let's kick this around. Let's look right back at the, 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 the first lie. If I focus more on myself, I will be more fulfilled. And that is a lie. Say it with me, everybody. That is a what? That's a lie. Yes, you have to attend to yourself. Yes, you have to take care of yourself. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to build a, whole, a wholeness, if you will. You got you to gotta sharpen your talents, your gifts, your talents. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you got to be about yourself, but, but that's not what we're talking about. What this, is ta this is the lie of a self-centered person. Hear me. The most lonely and unfulfilled people on earth are the people who conclude in order to have a more fulfilling life, I need to be more self-centered. <laughs> Those are the loneliest and most unfulfilled people. And because they don't know it, they keep getting more and more self-centered because they get more and more empty and don't realize that it is your self-centeredness that is making you empty. And you can't see it. That often happens through the teenage years and then carries with us in life. And you don't even know you're doing it. By the way, let's talk. Have you ever wanted to tell someone, get over yourself? Have you ever told somebody that? I mean, have you ever like actually said it to somebody? Maybe you haven't said it, but maybe you wanted to. Maybe you thought it. Like, like maybe you said it to a friend at school in your mind. You're like, man, you just need to get over yourself. Or, or, or a teammate in, in, in a sports arena. Or, or, or maybe at work. You're at work and, man, they're just bugging you. Man, he, he just needs to, she just needs to get over themselves. Maybe you're thinking about a neighbor. Maybe you're thinking about each other and your family. Maybe you think of your spouse and you know not to say it. And it's like, baby, I wish you'd get over yourself. Maybe you thought about it in church. Maybe you think about it with somebody who has fame. You're like, man, they need to get over themselves. But here, are you ready? Here's what I want to know. Have you ever noticed it's easier to tell someone else to get over themselves than it is for you to get over yourself? Jaden, my 15-year-old, we were uh, up at the cabin last, last month uh, in July, and uh, uh, cabin up north, and we were cleaning out a little section of the woods. And... 
while we were cleaning section out, he just, ow! And something, he got stung by a bee. I hate that. Don't you hate getting stung by, I mean, just, so he got stung by a bee and it hurt. And, I, and, and in the moment, we're, we, we had about 10, 15 more minutes of, of something to do. And I, and, and I thought, I didn't say anything to him. I just said, you know what, we're not, I'm not going to immediately respond. I'm not going to make it all about him. I, I, I know it hurts, but part of being a man is you work through the pain. You just, and, and I'm, I'm helping him be a man. Now, he's handling it like a man, so he's fine. You're not doing anything wrong. I didn't say get over yourself, because I, I, I know what that does. But, but in my mind, I'm thinking, I got to help him continue to grow up and be and be a man so instead of attending to it immediately I said oh yeah we'll get to it we'll be fine and about you know 10-15 minutes later we went in the house and and, and put some stuff on it helped him on a good job so so he handled it really well proud of him and you know not really get over yourself but that was kind of what I was thinking that's my job as a dad to help him <laughs> a couple hours later we're in the final section of the woods that we were clearing kind of weed whacking or whatever and I and and literally it was the last little segment and 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 I hit an underground yellow jacket's nest and I didn't know it and I just says ow and I look down and they're swarming me and I became a five-year-old girl <laughs> I mean immediately I'm like ah and I threw everything down and I start running. Now I'm running for the cabin. I'm like, ah! I'm just like, what is wrong with it? If you had no, if you had no contact, you're like, guy's gone nuts. Watch this. I mean, I got up on the cabin porch. I'm like, they're still on me. I got, I got stung five, six times up the leg. I mean, I went in the cabin, Marsha! I got stung, baby. I got stung several times. She came out, what happened? I look, look, one, two, three, four. I'm stung. Well, let me get you some Benadryl. Get me some Benadryl. I need something on it. It hurts. <laughs> Man, later I took us all to the pharmacy so I can get some stuff on them. Didn't finish any work. Couldn't sleep for two, three nights. It's about three days later it occurred to me, well, you handled that well. <laughs> well. Here you are, like treating your son, man, get over yourself. Have you ever noticed when somebody else gets stung, your disposition is like get over yourself? As soon as it happens to you, it's a whole nother ball game, isn't it? I mean, it's just easier to tell somebody get over yourself than it is for you to get over yourself. And when Jesus had the conversation of somebody asking him, what's the greatest teaching? What's the greatest truth we need to know? Jesus said, love God and love others. In other words, get over yourself. But Jesus was more aggressive than that. Let's stay with more aggressive than that. It's not just get over yourself. It's die to yourself. The Bible is not a self-help book. Jesus didn't deliver a self-help message. What Jesus delivered was die to self. Check this out. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. He goes on. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way 
In other words, literally die to self. It's my way to finding yourself, your true self. I mean, what kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? See, you're making decisions about your soul. Doesn't matter how old you are, a child. You might be in middle school right now, high school. You might think, oh, this conversation doesn't apply. No, this is at the center of your life. You're building the foundation of your life right now. You're in college, your 20s. You're adult, you've been around for years. Maybe you're empty nester. You're making decisions about your soul. What are you trading it for? And Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. You don't find yourself by being more about yourself. You find yourself by dying to yourself, surrendering yourself to God who created you, and you will find yourself because you're from him. You were created for him. You see, that lie tends to take a lot of people out. Jesus said, I've come to set you free from yourself. There's a second lie we tend to get sucked into, and that is Jesus is one of many ways to God, heaven, but he's non-essential. He's one of many. Just one of many. Yeah, he's a good one, but he's not the only one. And that's a lie. That's a what, everybody? That's a lie. Stay with me. You have to believe Jesus is essential, or you will never be spiritually rescued. Last weekend, we had the conversation I taught from Colossians chapter 3. And I gave you a quote from a Lutheran theologian from the mid-1600s. I'll put it back up on the screen. You can jot it down if you would like. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. That is love. And if you were here, you remember me setting these buckets and recognizing that God loves us immensely. And if we will be in relationship with him, through Jesus, he'll pour his love in us and love should dominate our lives and dominate the church we talked about it and that there are non-essentials, places God didn't draw an exact line and therefore there's differences. We have different personalities, different ways, different choices we would make and that's the second size bucket but the, but the first bucket, the important bucket is the essentials and on this there is the absolute truth. This is the stuff that Jesus is talking about when he says the foundation and there are essentials and Jesus is essential. But the world is saying, okay, we'll buy in. There was a Jesus. He did live. You can't deny that historically. And, and he did amazing things. All right. And he died and they didn't find his body. Okay, so Jesus, okay, Jesus is, is a way to God, but he's non-essential. You, there are other ways. Really? Because what did Jesus say? Look at John 14. Let's read it. Jesus answered, I am, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am essential, not optional. I am the way. There is no other way. I am the truth. This is where you get the truth. And I'm the only one that can give you life, eternal life. What makes him so distinct? If you've never understood it, let me at least take a moment and explain something to you. 
I'll use it from my personal experience, my. I have my sin, I've sinned, and because of my sin, I will have my death. That is, I will not only die physically, I'm not only separated from God relationally, but I will die eternally because of my sin. That's true for every one of us. But Jesus... Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and he was sinless. And because Jesus was sinless, he never would have died. Jesus would have eternal life. Now, here's what Jesus did for me. In his love for me and for you, Jesus voluntarily died on the cross, not for his sin, but for mine. So he paid my death debt, and he covered my sin so that I, me, I could have eternal life and be sinless before the living God. See, nobody else can take care of my sin. No other religion does. Only Jesus can do that. Jesus is not optional. Jesus is essential. This is your only hope and your only help right here. And listen, a lot of people think, oh, no, God's love is so great that it pours out and it removes the need for Jesus. No, the love of God made the way through Jesus. That's how much he loves you. Well, that's, it's so narrow, though. That can't be true. I mean, Jesus, yes, he's a way, but he's one of many ways, so he's kind of non-essential. I mean, he's a good way. He's a way for some of us, but not all of us, so he can't be essential. There's got to be other ways. Listen, let me talk about how ludicrous and irrational that is. Just go with me. So eight months ago, or excuse me, eight years ago, at this time, Marsha, my wife, had her bicycle accident uh, where she had the brain injury and the, and the bruised brain. And some of you remember that story and graciously prayed through that. And for the first 24 hours, uh, it was very scary and very uncertain. So now imagine that's the moment I'm in. And it didn't happen this way, but imagine it did. The doctor comes to me. He tells me what's, how scary it is. And then he says, uh, she's not going to make it, but I can tell you how she will make it. If you give her your brain, she'll live. I'd be like, what? Say that again? If, if you give her your brain, hold on, catch, catch up with you. My wife is going to die. I give her my brain. I'm going to die. Oh, yeah, 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 you'll die. I die for her to live? Yeah. Oh, Wow. Uh, and there's no other way? Well, yeah, there's another way. What? There, there's another way? Well, yeah, there's another way. We have this pill over here. If we just give her this pill, her brain will self-heal and she'll be fine soon enough. Well, well, hold it, what? You did, we're, we're a pill away from her being okay? And one of the options is me dying, losing my brain? What is wrong with you? That's the dumbest thing I've ever done. Give her the pill! Right? I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I would be looking at the doctor like, what is wrong with you? What a weird doctor. Just get out of here and give her the, I mean, why did you even bring up the first option? Why didn't you just walk in and say, we have a pill, she'll be fine. Go with me. So now we're in heaven. And, and God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, I don't mean it sacrilegiously, I just want to make a point. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are having a dialogue, and they bring Jesus in. Hey, uh, you know, they sin down there. We love them. We're going to run hard after them. 
And there's several ways they can be restored to us and be in heaven with us forever. You know, they can go to church. They can do a few good things, right? They can put a couple bucks in an offering envelope, and that'll help. Uh, there's five, six really good religions. They all lead to us. But that's only nine. And we thought we should have ten. So here's the tenth one. Here's our big idea. You suspend your divinity. Set aside your glory. Leave heaven. And become a dweeb. You just go down there and, and, and you take on human form. It's going to be horribly humiliating. In fact, you're going to be born as a baby. I mean, the whole thing's going to be wretched for you. But God in flesh, we thought, cool idea. Kind of, we'll call it the incarnation. And then, and then you grow up and you need to be obedient. So you need to be fully obedient and nobody will understand you. They won't figure you out. But you keep telling them who you are. But it won't matter because they're going to kill you. And, and, and then... And then when they do, and when they do, you're going to suffer mercilessly. I mean, you are going to be, it's going to be torturous for hours. But then when you finally die, uh, we'll raise you from the dead, and everybody will know we have a tenth way to get to heaven. It'll be fantastic. I mean, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, hang on, make sure I got this right. We already have nine ways, and this is the tenth? Yeah. Well, can't we just stick with nine? I've always liked nine. Nine's like a great number. Like, let's just go with nine, Right? I mean, wouldn't you, like if you were Jesus, wouldn't you say, let's just stick with the nine? I mean, is it, it, no, listen, no rational person could know what Jesus did and say he's one of many ways. Stay with me. Jesus either is no way to God, he's the only way to God, but he is not one of many ways because it's totally irrational. Nobody, nobody would pick that. So when you, when, you, when you get over here and you say, oh yeah, Jesus, be a fan of him. He's one of many ways. It's the most ludicrous, irrational thing you can say. It makes no sense at all. And you know what's dangerous? Even in the church, some people are saying, well, Jesus is essential for me, but probably not for everybody. Because we get so messed up by this world to accommodate and join the world's lie. We adjust. And when you adjust like that, you lose your heart and fervor and passion for people who are far from God. See, Cindy, a 12-stoner, told her story recently that her dad had cancer. He was a cancer survivor of bladder and lung cancer, but then it came back this past spring, the bladder cancer. She went to her dad and she said, Daddy, I gotta talk to you because your soul is on the line and Jesus is essential. And, and he didn't want to have that conversation. And it broke her heart because she knows that Jesus is essential and his only hope to heaven. And he, okay. And she prayed, and by Father's Day, she had another conversation with him. Daddy, can we, can we talk about Jesus and, and your soul and eternity? And dad wasn't interested. In, and it just the weight on her because she knows Jesus is essential, not non-essential. See, when you know this, it'll drive you. It'll change the way you do life with those around you who are near you but far from God. On July 6th, she was on a business trip at 1.44 a.m. in the morning. She was woken, and she felt like the Spirit of God told her, get a plane ticket and get back home. She's like, that's weird. Is that bad pizza or is that God? And why am I going to pay three times a ticket to get back? She did it anyway and sat with her dad. And what she discovered is that the Holy Spirit had been drawing her father. And she was able to sit down and have the conversation. And her dad prayed to receive Christ and became a follower of Christ. And one week later, passed away. Yeah. One week later, he passed away. 
And she was able to tell that story and have someone else come to faith in Christ at the funeral. Why? Because when you know he's essential, he's not only essential for you, he's essential for everybody. He's essential for everybody. That's why we have the passion. And, and what, what does her dad get? Heaven. And what do we all get as the gift? Heaven. By the way, I was talking to Jeff Foxworthy this past week. Not like I do that all the time. Uh, but I was talking with Jeff Foxworthy this past week. Oh, you know, Jeff and I. No. The first time we met, had a conversation. We were talking about heaven and how America's kind of ruined the imagery of a heaven. Because we say, oh, you're going to be in a choir robe standing on a, on, a, on a cloud singing all day. Well, no wonder people say, well, then I don't want to go to that heaven. I, I don't either. Yes, the glory of God's going to be amazing. Yes, it, it's going to be worship like nothing we've ever seen before. And, and yes, it's going to be sinless and, and awesome. And, 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 and yes, yes, we're there'll be no division. I mean, it's going to be spectacular, but this is an adventurous God, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This is going to be beyond belief. In fact, Jeff was saying, you know what I long to do in heaven? Because I think it's going to be great adventure. I said, what do you want to do? He said, I hope on the new earth I get to hunt a T-Rex. I said, Jeff, only you. Only you. I've never heard anybody say that. I said, but you know, you can't do that because there's no death in heaven. I said, on the other hand, there might be because God is the God of resurrection, so the T-Rex might die, and then God raised him from the dead, so he never really did die. You never know. I said, what's going to bother me is there's no death in heaven, and that means no barbecue, and that bothers me. I want barbecue in heaven. I want calorie-free, spectacular barbecue. Well, whatever your hope of heaven, that's made possible only by God. By the way, why I was talking with Jeff, just so you know, it, it is in preparation for the September 9th, the September 9th, the September what? Ninth launch of Cause Trouble. I'm telling you, church, that I told you at the 30th anniversary we we're going to do a Cause Trouble series next fall. Well, we are on it. And September 9th, you want to be a part of it. Tell your neighbor the date right now. Tell them what's the date? September 9th. You just, I wish I could get all the 12 stone and then all our friends to be here and everybody you know, you go invite because we're going to launch something and lay out for the next six weeks what's coming. You're going to get a book on September 9th that you will need for September 10th. There's no other way to get it to you unless you're here. It's going to be great fun. I got to move on. There is a final, there is a final lie we tend to believe. And that is you have to clean up your life to come to God. You have to clean up your life. In fact, a whole bunch of people are thinking, well, I gotta do some good things to get God's attention and get back to God, and that's a lie. It's a what? It's a lie. Thank God, thank God. You don't have to clean up your life to come to God. You come to God to get your life cleaned up. Isn't that spectacular? That's God. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Look what it tells us. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. By the way, that good works he's talking about, that's what cause trouble is all about. It's going to be cause trouble, do something good. Cause trouble for good. This is going to be a spectacular series. You're going to love it. It launches with this conversation, and Jeff Foxworthy is a part of that launch, but, 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 before that it says, we are saved by grace. You didn't do anything. Nobody here boasts. God did it all in his love for you. So how do you come to God? Well, Jesus made his life an offering. A what? An offering, a sacrifice for you. How you come to God and receive that gift is you become an offering to God yourself. I want everybody here and across the campuses to take an offering envelope. It's right in front of you. If you're on the very front row, it's underneath your chair. Otherwise, here across the campuses, everybody grab an offering envelope, okay? Just everybody get one and get a pen. Everybody get an offering envelope and a pen. While you're doing that, let me talk to you. You see, we get the idea in church with churchianity in America that all you have to do is slip a couple bucks in an offering envelope, give it to God, and that helps you get to heaven. That's a lie. 
That's not what you put inside. The way you are restored to God is after Jesus has made the offering for you, and he has. Then you crawl in the offering envelope, and you become the offering to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's your reasonable act of worship and response to God's mercy. So I want everybody to write their name right now. No matter what you choose to do with this, I want everybody to write their name. Just write your name anywhere on the front of the offering envelope. And this is symbolic of saying this is personal. This is me. I am the offering back to God. Now there's two groups of people that I want to talk to. This, is, this moment today is going to be for two groups of people. Group one, those of you who have never said yet to Christ. You've never said yes to Christ. You've never said yes. You've never surrendered. You don't have a relationship with him. You don't have your spiritual birthday. You've not been restored to him. You've not been forgiven of your sin. You don't have the gift of eternal life. Christ does not live within you. Maybe you've been going to church for a long time. Maybe this is the first time you've ever stepped into a church. Maybe you've heard this message 50 times and you've never believed it till today. Maybe this is the first time you've heard it and it's finally making sense. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're a single man or woman. Maybe you've been married for 20 years. Whatever range and stage you are right now, the Holy Spirit of God is drawing you to himself, and he set this day and moment up for you. So you're going to offer a prayer. The prayer will be this. This is an example of the prayer, but I wrote out to help you. Heavenly Father, I know I've sinned against you and that I will die in my sin. But I thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying in my place. I believe that you are God, my creator and my savior. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and restore me to yourself. Help me to live for you as I follow Jesus with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. See, that is like you crawling inside the offering envelope and saying, okay, God, I'm yours. And in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to take that offering envelope and to walk right up front and place it in the essential bucket saying, I recognize that Jesus is essential and this is my day, my moment where I'm surrendering my life to him. It's a significant moment for you. That's group one. Group two. Group two are those of you who have already said yes to Jesus at some point in the past. But you have grown a bit cold spiritually. You've been adrift. You've been a little bit like Jaden and his friends playing Fortnite. You're in the middle of a spiritual war, but you're goofing off. You're being casual. You're not running hard after God like you used to. Maybe like Peter, you denied Jesus. Maybe there's a couple of areas of your life where you denied Jesus and you've gone back to some things in your old life and God is saying to you, wake up, put me back at first in your life. I need to be first again. And this is a you recommitting, restoring the drift spiritually in your life. And you too, in this moment of commitment, will come forward and bring your offering envelope and say, no, no, God, forgive me for drifting. I'll reset this. And the fire of God needs to be restored in your soul. And it was a deep sense of God's prompting and leading that this is part of what God wanted to do today in this series. So I'm going to turn the service over to the campus pastors, and we're going to have a sacred spiritually intense, life-changing moment of celebration before God. So bow your heads with me. Father, right now, many are wrestling with the awareness that your Holy Spirit, even if they don't fully understand what's going on, your Holy Spirit is drawing us to you. There are some students here who don't have the 
right foundation in their life. And right now, making that decision to follow you is going to correct and set their foundation for the rest of their life to build their life on truth. There are some men that, God, if they don't say yes to you, they're stuck living life on their own terms and it's costing them. Some dads. There's some moms, some ladies, some single ladies that, that right now, if they don't get this right with you, there's some people who've been far from you and you've been drawing them for years, months, weeks, even now, the moment. Maybe some who've heard this once or twice, but like Cindy's dad, this is finally the time when they're aware that you're drawing them and this is the truth. You give them the courage and let this be a celebration of their new life and you receiving the gift, being set free. There are some brothers and sisters of mine, God, who I know have been growing cold, adrift in their faith. They kind of lost the fire. They've not been running hard after you. They've been casual and goofing off, so to speak. And today, you're speaking to their spirit and saying, come on now, put me first. Get back to what matters most. And this is gonna be a marking, settling day. So Lord, do your work among us. This is a big moment in Christ's name. So let me talk to you. How are we gonna do this? First of all, for those of you for whom this will be your first time to say yes to Jesus, your prayer is the prayer that was on the screen. In fact, we're gonna read the prayer together, everybody aloud. But for some of you, this is your moment to say yes to Jesus. And we'll leave the prayer up there during the whole commitment time here. But we're gonna read the whole prayer together. But for some of you, this is your moment. This is a huge day for you. It's your spiritual birthday. But we do things together as a family. So let's everybody read the prayer aloud with me. But for some of you, this is your moment with Jesus to say yes. Let's read it, church. Heavenly Father, I know I have sinned against you and that I will die in my sin. But I thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying in my place. I believe that you are God, my creator, and my savior. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and restore me to yourself. Help me to live for you as I follow Jesus with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. And in a moment, you're gonna just walk forward with your envelope, and this confirms you've offered that prayer to him. There's no magic in the prayer. There's power in what Jesus did. The others of you, you already know what it means. In fact, what we're learning today afresh is that God loves us deeply, and some things are not essential. But those are not the buckets we're having the conversation on right now. The bucket we're having the conversation on right now is the essential bucket, and that you're confessing today that Jesus is essential. And I'm going to put two buckets right here, one on either side. Because in a moment, the band's going to play the song. And as they play the song, you're going to walk from your seat. You're going to walk forward and personally place your name on your envelope as an offering to God. Whether it's first time coming to faith in Jesus and your spiritual birthday, or whether it's you coming back fully committed, Christ to center, and all the more dying to yourself. So this is a meaningful moment. Stand with me, if you would, just everybody in the room. God's already stirring the band's going to begin to sing the song, and as they sing the song, I'm going to wait right here. You're not on your own. People will make room. They'll let you out of your row. You just start to move down the road. They'll back up. They can move out, let you get in. If you're in the cafe theater, you can come across the hallway. God's going to settle some things, and eternity is being reset. So you just begin to come. Band, you begin to sing. Just go ahead. Just get out of your aisle. Just come. This is your moment. You settle this with God. This is a really big deal. You just come this way. Go to your right. Go to your left after you place it. Just walk past to the right, walk past to the left once you've placed it in there. 